You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. So church, if you would go to 2 Samuel chapter 7 with me, please. It's the 10th book in the Old Testament. You should find it fairly easy, 2 Samuel. Um, Interestingly enough, it's right after 1 Samuel, but also right before 1 Kings. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 7 together. And as you quickly get there, go ahead and keep your Bible open to this passage, really the remainder of the morning. Just go ahead and keep your Bibles open. That's a pretty good thing to remember at Highland anyway. Just keep your Bibles open. 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is one of the more, more important texts in the Old Testament and how God relates to his people. It's a very powerful plot point in the arc of redemption that we have been in for the last couple of weeks. There are some who would say this is the most bold theological statement in all of the Old Testament. So let's read a lot of it. By that I mean let's read all of it. Second Samuel chapter 7, uh, let's begin in verse 1. We've got David, he's in this scene. Uh, Nathan, the prophet, is in this scene. And God himself is in this scene. Second Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king, David, lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But that same night, The word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up from the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, once you pass away, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, from your lineage, from your seed, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. In your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. 
because of your promise, according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. And do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God. And your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant now. Therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Let's get a running start to this. We've looked at four covenants the last several weeks. And covenants are the ways that, that God, or it's the way that God deals with and relates to his people. Uh, we saw, first of all, the Adamic covenant, which, of course, is the covenant of creation. It was given to, to a couple, to Adam and to Eve. Then we see the Noahic covenant. It was the covenant of, of preservation, and it was given to a family, to Noah and his family. Then we saw a few weeks ago when Pastor Mark was preaching on the Abrahamic covenant. It was a covenant of, of promise and it was given to a nation. And then we saw the Mosaic covenant just last week. That was a, a covenant of law and it was given to a holy nation. A nation that has now been cleansed and, and redeemed and forgiven by God through all the Levitical systems of forgiveness. And then we come today in this passage to a brand new covenant that starts right here in 2 Samuel 7 called the Davidic covenant. It's the covenant of a king, really plural, the covenant of kings. And it's given to, to a kingdom. Do you see just in the screen in front of you the, the growing nature of the kingdom of God? It begins with a couple, and then it's a family, and then it's a nation, then it's a holy nation, and now we're at a place now where it's an entire kingdom. And by the way, the kingdom of God has not yet stopped growing around the world even today. His, his kingdom continues to grow as more and more people turn to Christ. And all these covenants also have, have signs to them. The Adamic covenant has the, the sign of, of death. The Noahic covenant has the sign of the rainbow. The Abrahamic covenant um, has the sign of circumcision. Ouch. The Mosaic covenant has the sign of, of Passover. The Davidic covenant has the sign of the throne. So there's all these signs that also go along with these covenants. But I want you to see this. In fact, Island, please see this. That Abraham's God is your God. That the God who made a covenant with Noah is the same God who is with us in worship right now, this very moment. The same God that met Moses in the burning bush is the same God who will meet with you tomorrow morning in your quiet time. This same God who spoke to David here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is the same God who speaks to us right now through his word and by his spirit. Same God 
in all of these covenants, same God in June 2021. Let's look at the Davidic covenant. Let's understand this together as we see this ark of redemption and how God is going to purchase his people. The first thing we see in the Davidic covenant is a kingly line will endure forever. Your Bible is still open. I am certain that it is. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at verse 13 with me. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jump down to verse 16 of that same chapter. Chapter 7, verse 16. 2 Samuel 7. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Jump down to verse 24. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house. And do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever. Jump down to verse 29, the very last verse of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, therefore, may it please please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. What God is saying in 2 Samuel chapter 7, what I'm putting into place right now is going to last forever, which has huge ramifications for everyone in this house. Because if I understand the word forever correctly, we are in right now would be classified as forever. And I think tomorrow will still be there. If I truly understand the word forever, we will forever be in forever. So what God set into motion, 2 Samuel chapter 7 informs all of eternity. 2 Samuel chapter 7, it begins to, to, to shape all of eternity that is before us. And so what God says right here in this chapter, it persists to this very day, this very afternoon, this very place, which means this text is right in our lap today. Speaking to us, those who are living in the forever that God speaks of here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God says, someone, David, from your line, from your seed, from your heritage, from your family, David, will last forever. And let me just tell you, that's a bold statement. The Davidic covenant, secondly, is that a preeminent son will rule. Look at verse 12 with me. Look at verse 13. 2 Samuel chapter 7, when your days are fulfilled, in other words, when you're, when you're dead and gone, David, and you're going to be buried with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, your seed, your lineage, your DNA, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, now who is that? But don't say Jesus. I know that's normally the answer when the preacher asks you a question. This is not Jesus. We know that because it says in verse 14, when he commits iniquity. So this is not Jesus. This is Solomon. This is going to be the son of, of David who will build a temple just as we see prophesied right here. He will build a temple for the worship of God. You don't have to turn there. You don't even have time to turn there. But look on the screen behind me at First Chronicles chapter 29. Let me just read to you verse 22 and verse 23. They, meaning the people of Israel, they made Solomon, the son of David, king for the second time. Little historical context there. Why for a second time? Because Solomon's brother, um, Adonijah, he wanted to be the king. And so as he was kind of moving toward the throne, Israel quickly names Solomon as king. So now we have kind of the ceremonial anointing for the second time of Solomon. They, Israel, made Solomon, the son of David, king the second time. 
And they anointed him as the prince for the Lord and Zadok as priest. Now verse 23 is really important. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. Hmm. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. Not his dad. Not David. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of David, his father. And he, Solomon, prospered and all of Israel obeyed him. Listen, Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. Who sits on the throne of the Lord? Do you? I, I don't sit on the throne of the Lord. How is it that Solomon is able to sit on the Lord's throne? Only the Lord sits on the Lord's throne. But here God is raising up in this brand new Davidic covenant a king who's going to represent God to his people. Remember, there's always a mediator. Um, Adam was a mediator. Noah was a mediator. Abraham was a mediator. Moses was a mediator. Kind of the go-between between God and the people of God. And so now David and Solomon, God's going to raise them up to be a mediator of this brand new Davidic covenant. And that throne, the Lord's throne, not David's throne, not Solomon's throne, but the Lord's throne will be established forever. Here's the third portion of the Davidic covenant. God brings his own to enjoy rest and to enjoy the glory of God. I know your Bible's still open. Look at verse 10. Look at this benefit. There's always a benefit to a covenant. Here's the benefit. Uh, here's, how, here's how God blesses his people. Verse 10, and I will appoint a place, a land for my people Israel. And I'm going to plant them there. In fact, they're still there today. So that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel. Listen to this. Here's the blessing. And I will give you rest. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. I will give you rest. And not just rest, he'll also move in close. The glory of God is going to move in close to his people. We see that in verse 13. Speaking of Solomon, he shall build a house for my name. Now just consider this with me. The Israelites have been wanderers. From, from this portion of the land to this portion of the land, down to this place of judgment, back, back to Egypt, back, back to the land of their promise. So they have been wanderers all this time, moving from place to place. And now we see in verse 10 and verse 11, God's going to bring them to a stationary place. It's going to be a kingdom, a land where they can, here's the word again, rest. You think about it, God's glory had also wandered. That's why God said earlier to the prophet Nathan, I've been also going from place to place, tent to tent. I want a place where I can dwell. I want a place where I also, God says, my glory can rest. In this covenant then, the glory of God is going to settle in in the temple. You probably know it as the Holy of Holies. And the glory of God is going to be very near to the people of God. And God's people will rest there and they'll enjoy the glory of God. Here's the fourth portion of the Davidic covenant. God's going to redeem his chosen people. And God will be worshipped. God redeems his chosen people. Look at verse 23 and verse 24, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And who is like your people Israel? That the one nation on earth whom God went, that's the missionary God, God went to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name, God making a name for himself and doing for them great and awesome Thing. So God is redeeming his, his chosen people. We see the, the rest of that in verse, verse 23. You did great and awesome things, driving out before your people whom you redeemed. There's our operative word, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation 
and it's God's. And so God's going to redeem his people, but also cause and call his people to worship him. This is what David is doing in, in verse 26, when David says, in your name will be magnified forever. Here's his worship. The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. David continues to worship in verse 29. Now therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God have spoken and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. People, listen Highland, people are going to come from all over the known world to see that there is no one like Israel's God. So in chapter 8, we see this great victory for for David and for Israel. In in chapter 9, we see David carrying on the character of God by showing kindness and graciousness to Mephibosheth. Uh, then we see in, in, in verse 10, this, this incredible victory again. In fact, this conquering victory in the name of the Lord. But then you get to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 2. And you can get there yourself. It's how quickly things begin to fall apart. It happened late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And and one of his servants said, Is this not Bathsheba, the the daughter of Eliam, the, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her. And David impregnates Bathsheba, a married woman. He covers it up by sending Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to the front line to be killed, and he is. In verse 26 and verse 27 of that chapter, sad verses, chapter 11, the very end, the last two verses of chapter 11. So when the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba, heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, She wept, she grieved, she lamented over her husband. And when that grief was subsiding, when mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But do not miss this, Highland. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And everything changed right here. That covenant that had no fault lines now becomes weakened because the mediator was weak. The mediator did something that displeased the Lord and everything changed and more kings will follow and they'll continue to displease the Lord and then we begin to see the effects of sin ripple and abound. So just in this story right here, I can give you a preview of the next five books of the Bible. We begin to see the the power of sin, the horrific power of sin. So this morning, can I, for just a few moments in light of this story, just unmask sin for us? Here is sin unmasked because the mask of sin is always beautiful. The mask of sin is always pleasurable. But the face of sin is hideous. The face of sin is hellishly damaging. So let's see what what sin is all about. Let's see the characteristics of sin. First of all, sin always appears so casually. 
sin in our lives always comes in so subtly. All, all it needs is a foothold. All that lust needs, all that anger needs, all that jealousy needs, all that bitterness needs is a very small window, just a small second, just a small thought. And then sin creeps. It inches. It slithers into our schedules and our thoughts and our minds and our habits. Let's unmask sin. Sin harms so completely. Your sin does not affect just you. My sin does not affect just me. Sin always ripples. You may think you have it compartmentalized, but it's never compartmentalized. Your sin, my sin, it's always the first domino. Then it hits another, then it hits another, then it hits another in such a way that people can fall for generations. Sin is so devastating, even to those who are remotely close to it. Let's unmask sin. Sin controls us so quickly. Sin always spirals downwardly in such a fast motion. It gets into our flesh. It gets into our calendar. It gets into our free time. It gets into our plans. It gets into our spending. It gets into our thoughts. Like tentacles of cancer, it just begins to wrap around and grip our heart and our mind. And then we become slaves to the master of sin. Listen, sin never wants to share. It always wants to take over. And it destroys so painfully. Let's unmask sin together today. It always destroys so painfully. For David, all it took was one look. By the way, he should have been in battle. He was not where he was supposed to have been. And as you read the narrative, it just was one afternoon, one look, one thought, and then there's a dead husband, a deceased child coming up soon, unbearable pain, indescribable grief sin always enters in with a disguise of happiness and then when it leaves unmasked it is always a destroyer of relationships marriages lives and hearts and here in the davidic covenant in the next books of 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, we begin to see, if you will, the result of sin. We see sin's result, and it hasn't changed in 3,000 years since King David. Here is the result of sin. It is the opposition of God, and it is the destruction of men. And this is what happens when David sins, and then Solomon sins. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he sins. And there's an opposition to God and there's a destruction of men. And then Queen Athaliah, she sins. Then King Ammon, he sins. Then King Ahaz, he sins. Then King Jehoiakim, he sins. King Joash, King Joram, they all sin. The list goes on and on. And this weakened, defective, faulty Davidic covenant is going to last for another 1,000 years. Until the cry of a little baby boy breaks the silence of a Bethlehem evening and a new covenant will be ushered in, a final covenant because the mediator is perfect. In Christ, the righteous king arrives. 
And Jesus comes from this kingly line of, of David. God was not telling an untruth when he said that this kingdom, this throne will last forever because Jesus will come from the seed, from the lineage, from the heritage of King David. For unto us a child is born, Merry Christmas in June. Unto us a son is given and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And at the increase of his government and peace there will be no end and he will reign on David's throne both now and forevermore establishing it and holding it in justice and in righteousness from this time forever the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this and then Jesus comes as the preeminent son Galatians 4 says at the right time God sent forth his son. Colossians chapter 1 says this son, he is the preeminent son. He is the supreme one. He is the exact representation of God. So if you will, Jesus is the greater Solomon. Jesus is the sinless Solomon who is not only king but the perfect king. And as God's son, he is the perfect exact representation of God. So in this new covenant in which Christian we now live I mean praise the Lord we're not under the Davidic covenant anymore based upon the actions of a king but now we're in a covenant based upon the obedience of a son the permanent kingdom assures these things assures us that now in Christ we find our rest because that rest that God had promised based on the mediator of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 it lasts for about three chapters that Israel is attacked again. That Israel eventually falls. It's all, all the time, constantly being surrounded by his enemies. There is no rest. And so now in this permanent kingdom in which we now live, daughters and sons of God, in Christ, we find our rest. And so if you're tired of wandering from sin to sin or dissatisfying relationship to dissatisfying, disappointing relationship, if you're tired of trying to fix your own life or cover your own sin, I've got good news for you. Christ is our rest. Hebrews chapter 4 says that exactly. This Christ, he is now the rest for his people. And in Christ, we now see his glory. Want to have a relationship with a glorious God, the same one who had to hide the face of Moses from his glory, you can now know the glory of God by knowing Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, we're now gathered around the glory of God, just as the Israelites longed to press as close as they could into that temple wall near the Holy of Holies. They wanted so badly to be near the glory of God. You now can know the glory of God because Second Corinthians chapter 4 says, we have now seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, permanently God's purposes can be made known because the covenant of Jesus lasts forever. It's built upon a perfect, sinless mediator. What are the purposes of God in Christ? God's purposes are made permanent. What are they? Number one, to redeem his chosen people. To redeem his chosen people. If you're a son or a daughter of God, I've got great news for you today. You are a purchased person. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to God. God will purchase his people. He will save us. He has saved and redeemed many people in this room today. And if he has not saved and redeemed you today, you can turn from your sin and turn to Jesus today and belong to him. In other, what other ways is God's purpose is made permanent? Here's the last one. 
Here's the purpose of God, to worship this incomparable God. Through our salvation, Highland, all of Waco should know there is no one like our God. Because you are in Christ, because you are a purchased person, because you have been redeemed by God, you have found your rest in Christ, you are pressed up into the glory of God because you have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus, all of Waco should know that there is no one like our God. Easy believism is I'll choose Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. But true Christ fellowship is exalting God, longing for his glory, longing to worship him, worshiping this incomparable God with the fullness of our lives, the entirety of our lives. And Highland, oh, Jesus is the king. He is crowned by his father. He is crowned by the elders of heaven. He is crowned by the angels of heaven. He is crowned by all the nations. And one day we will see this king of kings in all of his glory wearing his crown. It will be a golden crown of might and rule and reign. And that crown will fit perfectly upon his head. The same head that bore the crown of thorns to purchase us and redeem us. And here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we hear the rumblings the rumblings in the ark of redemption of a right and glorious king who will reign forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Would you stand and pray with me please? Father, what a beautiful plot point in the ark of redemption where we are hearing the rumblings already of a king that's going to come a perfect king, a king who is crowned, a king who will come to make the name of his father great, a king who will come who will redeem his people forever, will give rest to his people forever, will show the glory of God forever. And God, we join the angels of heaven and crown him as king. We join the saints of heaven and we crown him as king. We crown him as the Lord of our lives. We crown him as the salvation of the earth. We crown him as the treasure of heaven. We crown him as as the reason that we are purchased people. We bow before this king. And through the name of this king, we joyfully sing. 